He is risen. Now, I know some of you just replied to me. You stared at your computer screen or your television monitor, and you said, he is risen indeed, because Christians have been saying that on Easter morning for centuries. One person says he is risen, and everybody says he is risen indeed. But I know some of you also probably didn't say anything, because let's be honest, this is weird. You're all alone in your spaces, and I'm alone here. But you know what I think? I think heaven can hear us. So I'm going to try that again, and I want you to reply wherever you are. He is risen indeed when I say he is risen. Come on, I want to hear everybody. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen and hallelujah. It is weird, isn't it, to have Easter morning in a format like this? You know, I've been saying he is risen, he is risen indeed. I've been celebrating Easter now for 41 years, and I've never experienced an Easter quite like this. And maybe some of you are wondering if in this situation when death and pain and isolation seem to be winning the day, maybe you're wondering, is it true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really conquer sin and sickness and evil and pain and death itself? Because right now, the banner over our world, the banner that seems to be winning the day, is not he is risen, but something more like death and pain and isolation. So this morning, I want to put that to the test. I want us to wonder together, which is it? Is he risen? Or is it death and pain and isolation? Because I've been praying with and for so many of you. I know the pain that you're in. There's one woman in particular that I've just been particularly burdened for, praying for her hour by hour. Her father is elderly and he's in a hospital room somewhere in another state. And he's alone right now. He may be dying. And I've been praying for this woman and for her children, especially because... All they want to do is just go see grandpa, maybe for the last time. But because of the crisis going on and all the quarantining and all the precautions, everybody is alone. And I wonder, what do I tell that family? How can the risenness of Christ, how can the truth of the gospel on Easter morning speak to that family and to all of us? Well, I want us to take a look at Mary Magdalene this morning in this text. We're going to focus on her because in some ways her situation is all of us right now. At the beginning of the story, she's in pain after witnessing the death of the one she loved so much. And she is emotionally isolated. You know, in the other Gospels, we learn that there's other women there. But in John's Gospel, we only see Mary. He focuses in on her singularly as if to show us her emotional isolation. She, too, is alone like so many of us are right now. So let's look at how things went for Mary to put to the test this question, which is it, death, pain, and isolation, or he is risen? Mary was having a rough weekend She had witnessed this man die, and not just any man. She witnessed the man die, the man who had saved her life, the man who she then had devoted all her loyalty to, all of her affection, all of her adoration. She had built her life on this man, and now he was gone. Death 
and pain and isolation seem to be winning the day. In verse 1, we read this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You see, in Mary's mind at this point in the story, things had gone from bad to worse. Not only had Jesus died a horrible death, not only was he gone, but now she went to the place where they had buried him and it appears to her that the stone's been taken away and it appears to her that somebody has stolen the body. The news just keeps getting worse for Mary and it feels a little bit like that for us over the last couple of weeks. We accept one reality, okay, we're all going to have to be isolated and we accept that and the next day we learn new, worse information. Someone we know has the virus and maybe the next day after that a new, even darker reality, someone we know is dying. Things go from bad to worse as they were for Mary. Now there's something interesting going on in the phrasing right here in Greek where it says, she went there while it was still dark. We don't really see this in the English translation, but what that's indicating is that it was the fourth watch of the night, meaning between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That's when Mary arrived at the tomb. And for years I've thought that she went there that early so that she could remain under the cloak of darkness to protect herself from the Roman soldiers, and that may be true. But now on this year, I wonder if, She's there at that hour because maybe she's, she can't sleep. Maybe she's anxious. She's so overwhelmed by the grief of it all that she's up early. She's restless. She's tossing and turning. I know I've had a few nights like that recently since this whole global crisis began. As a pastor, I get so many emails. I wish they had told me in seminary how many emails I would get. But I've noticed a pattern over the years that when an email is time-stamped during that fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., it's very rarely a word of peace, a word of encouragement. It's often anxious thoughts of a troubled mind. So maybe Mary is feeling anxious. Maybe she's up that early because she can't sleep. Certainly in the next verse, you can almost hear the anxiety in her voice when she encounters the others. Here's what it says in verse 2. So Mary ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. I can just sense that Mary is totally out of sorts. Death and pain and isolation seem to be winning the day. We next see Mary in verse 11. And in verse 11, we see that she's gone from anxiety and she's moved really into just grief. She's weeping. It says this in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. I want to pause right there and just picture Mary with you. Can you see her there? She's all alone. And she's weeping. Mary is actually doing something very appropriate for the situation as far as she understands it. And I want us to just pause on her for a moment. And maybe somebody listening here today needs to hear this. It's okay to weep. It's okay to cry. When death and pain and isolation seem to be winning the day, it's okay to weep. It's appropriate to weep. Even Jesus wept. 
when he knew that his friend Lazarus had died, even though Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead, Jesus wept. And it's okay for us to weep over what's happening in our world right now. I feel that I have a good cry coming on soon. It hasn't happened yet. It's come close. I've had little moments where I'm doing one thing or another and I've had a quiet moment and I kind of feel the flood of sorrow kind of come up right to here. And I feel like I'm about to cry, but then it subsides. And I do sense that someday soon I'm going to have a pretty good cry about all of this. It's okay to weep. But Mary's story and ours doesn't end with weeping. The story could have concluded right here. There's Mary outside the tomb weeping. Jesus is gone. But her story and ours don't end with weeping. No, see, Mary is about to be asked a question, the same question twice, once by the angels and once by Jesus. She's about to be asked, Mary, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And you know, it'd be easy for us to hear that phrase and to think that she's being scolded by the angels and by Jesus. Kind of like a parent scolding a child, why are you doing that? But there's no scolding from angels. There's no shaming from Jesus. No, God is asking us, why are you weeping? Not as a scolding, not telling us we shouldn't be weeping, but rather inviting us into the new reality of the fact that Jesus is risen. It's an invitation, not a scolding. Let's see how it plays out for Mary. Let's pick up the story again halfway through verse 11. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. See, what's happening right here in the story is there's really two different perceptions of reality going on. You see, the, the angels know something that Mary doesn't yet know. The angels know that he is risen. And all Mary knows in this moment still is death and pain and isolation. So she answers them, don't you know? He's gone. Death, pain, isolation are winning the day. But the angels begin inviting her into this new reality, the reality of the fact that he is risen. Verse 14, uh, verse 13, uh, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Why does she not know that it's Jesus? Because what had happened, the risenness of Christ was incomprehensible to her in this moment. She is cloaked in her grief and in her misery and in her anxiety and in her isolation. Like many of us feel over the last couple of weeks, it's hard for us to comprehend this new reality that's unfolded. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, when he conquered death, he created a whole new reality and it's hard for us to grasp. We must be invited, as Mary was, into this new reality. Verse 15, Jesus begins to make the invitation a little bit more real as he brings her into the new reality. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Mary, still not comprehending it, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And now look how personal Jesus makes the invitation. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus is, is pulling her, he's inviting her, and he's inviting all of us into the reality of the fact of his risenness. I just want you to, to hear your own name right now. Jesus said, Mary. And it finally broke through her reality of death and pain and isolation and brought her into the reality of his risenness. Just think for a moment right now. Think in your mind. Just say your name. Now hear Jesus saying that to you. And he calls us. You know what he's doing here with Mary? He's really knowing her. And he's really knowing us by name. And he's saying, I know. I know the pain you're in. I know what it feels like to be isolated. Because I died alone. I, Jesus, was socially distanced, so to speak, even by the Father. The Father turned his face away. Think about this, friends. The Father turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. Why did that happen? Why was Jesus isolated and alone in his death? Because the Father turned his face away from all of our sin sickness. Jesus was bearing all the sins, all the, the evil, all the depravity of the whole world upon himself. And he, he bore that on himself and he took it to the grave. By his death, we are healed. By his blood, we are cured. You see, the, the cure is in the blood. Maybe you've heard this, but there's some researchers trying to find out if they can get the cure for the virus that's going around the world right now out of the, the antibodies, out of the plasma of the blood of people who have survived it. The cure is in the blood. Oh, that'll preach for a thousand Sundays because it's true. It's what happened on the cross. Our cure is in his blood. He died so that we could be made whole. And when Jesus calls our name, he's saying to us, I died alone for you. I took death and pain and isolation, all of it. I took it all upon myself so that it wouldn't be your reality forever. Mary. Nathan, say your name in your mind. Hear the Lord calling us, inviting us into the reality of not just the fact that he died in our place, that he offered the cure for sin sickness, but also that he rose again to speak our names to us personally, to conquer our greatest enemy, which is death. If death has been defeated by Jesus, we don't have to fear it because it's not the final word. It doesn't win the day. He is risen, wins the day. In verse 17, we see Mary's response. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. See what's happened here is Mary has responded simply by spontaneously hugging him, embracing him, 
in a very personal and intimate way, worshiping him. She has now been fully invited and she has stepped into the new reality. It's no longer death and pain and isolation. It is he is risen. And this is our response when we hear our name called by Jesus, inviting us into the reality of his risenness. We have no other choice but to, but to worship him, but to cling to him. Because what else is there to cling to in this world? Now, it's possible to hear this whole message and to think, okay, that's great for Mary. She had Jesus really in the flesh. The risenness of Christ was evident to her. But how do I know? How do we know that he is risen? Because right now, it seems pretty compelling out there. This narrative, this banner over our world, death and pain and isolation seems more compelling right now than this, than this fantasy, this myth that he is risen. How do we know that he is risen? Well, I want to I just point something out. If you're feeling skeptical right now, I just want to point something out to you. Right now, we're all acutely aware, aren't we, of how a virus can spread around the world. One person, one person, that's all it took to have this virus and then to share it with someone else and they shared it with other people and now it's gone global. We're very aware of how fast something can spread around the globe. But you know what else is contagious? Hope. And you know what's even more contagious than a virus? You know what's even more contagious than hope? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Look with me at verse 17, halfway through it, where Jesus says, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. Go to my brothers, he said, and say to them, I'm ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Think about this for a moment. At this point in history, when Jesus has just instructed Mary to go tell the remaining 11 disciples, go and tell them, at this point in history, Mary is the only human being who knows the full gospel. She's the only human being who knows the full gospel, that he died, his blood is the cure for our sin-sick souls, that he has risen again, he has conquered our greatest enemy, death itself. She's the only person who knows the full gospel and that he's ascending to the Father to retake his position of the, on the throne of the universe. She's the only person. And who, what does she do? She does exactly what he tells her to do. He, she goes and announces it to the 11. And what do they do when they hear the full gospel? They tell everyone they know. And all those people who believe it, they go and tell everyone they know, just as a virus goes around infecting one person and another and another in an exponential curve. The gospel goes around not infecting other people, but blessing other people with the truth of the risenness. He is risen. He is risen. And it spreads around the world. The gospel has proven to be the most contagious thing ever in human history. Hallelujah. It's more contagious than any virus. There are billions of people around this world right now, billions of them, who are proclaiming the truth that he is risen. Spread it. Share it. It's what Mary did. And it's what we all are called to do. There's one more proof I want to offer to you that he is risen. That the truth of that reality is is real in our time. Not just that the gospel is spread around the world, compelling as that is, 
But I know that he's risen because he's here. I mentioned earlier, how, how do I pray for, how do I minister to that woman whose father is dying, whose, whose children just want to see their grandfather? What word can we speak to people like that, to people like us who are all isolated? How can the risenness of Christ speak to our situation? I prayed with that woman. What I realized later was a pretty bold prayer. I prayed, Lord Jesus, please visit this man in his hospital room. Will you appear to him? so that if he's dying, he won't die alone. Will you draw near to him, Jesus, and say to him, I know what it feels like to die alone. I will be with you. I will be your companion. And I realized after I prayed that prayer with that woman, you know, that prayer can only be prayed, it can only be fulfilled if he is risen. Because if Jesus died on the cross and stayed dead, he can't be appearing anywhere else, can he? He would be dead. But if he's risen, he can appear to us. And I prayed that prayer for that woman. And two days later, I made a phone call to another family, an older couple in the congregation. Their names are Rudy and Betty. They're in their 80s. And I called them because I knew that Betty had had surgery on her hip and on her leg. And I wanted to check in on them. And I was talking with them and they were giving me the update and everything had gone fine. And we were about to hang up and Betty said, Pastor, you got time for a quick story. And I said, sure, Betty. And she said, Nathan, this amazing thing happened. I was in my hospital room and they were about to wheel me down the hallway into the operating room. And I was, I was looking at the doorway and I was totally fixated on that doorway, knowing where I was about to be wheeled. I was thinking only about my surgery that was coming up. I was feeling a little bit anxious about it, as anyone would, about to go into surgery. And I was just looking out at the doorway, doorway, but suddenly something caught my eye to my left in my hospital room. So I turned my head to my left. And Betty told me over the phone, she said, Nathan, I don't know how else to say this, but he was there. Jesus was there in my hospital room. And I was so touched by what Betty told me because I had just been praying in another situation that Jesus would be visiting people in their hospital rooms. And here was Betty two days later telling me that it was true, that he was there with her. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't a vapor. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't a dream. It was him. And that's only possible, friends, if he's risen. I know death and pain and isolation seems super real right now. Super compelling. It seems to be winning the day. But there's another word, a better word. He's risen. He's real. His gospel has gone viral. It's not infected, but it's blessed me and it's blessed you and it's blessing the whole world in a more real way than any virus could ever do because when he went to the cross, he took all the sin sickness, all the brokenness of this world upon himself and he brought it into the grave. And we await that day when he comes back from his seat on the throne of the universe and he sees us once again, he visits us once again and he, and he comes and he makes all things new and he, and he will dry every tear from every eye and he will cure everything that's wrong in this world. I know this is true that it's coming because I know that he rose from the dead because he sees us, he visits us even now by the Spirit. So let me hear it again, church. Come on, let's say it and say it loud. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen.
Amen and hallelujah.